Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Renar Voice. This is Robert Sotala, one of the co-hosts with me, as usual, Jeff Mazzone. Welcome, Jeff. How you doing? Hey, bro. Good morning. Good to see you. Yeah, it feels like it's been a while, doesn't it? It's been a couple of weeks. Yeah, it feels it feels longer than that. I don't, I don't know why I missed you. Oh, you know, that's that's sweet, bro. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks I feel that I appreciate the tenderness there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, hey, um, we got some... I think it's big news. I mean, in my world, it's big news. Um, <laughs> and not a lot going on in my world. So um, last week, I think it was, we eclipsed uh, 500 downloads. We, we, we crossed the 500 downloads yeah. line. Yep. I, I don't know if that's big or not. Like, I have no perspective. But in my world, that's that's pretty that's pretty big. I, I'm I'm surprised we I got like past a hundred. Well, you gotta you gotta keep in mind that of those 500 listens, at least 20 percent of those are between you and me. That's true. Just Pre- keep downloading it. Yeah, like, yeah. Just yeah. up in the number, plug, you know. Plug in the ballot. Yeah. Yeah. And family too. I'm sure. You know. Right. All right. So really, maybe we are truly like a hundred downloads, and maybe it's not as 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 big of a deal as I thought it was. Well, you know, it's it's kind of cool because we're at like 50 downloads a week. So, you know, we do have a steady core of folks that are listening and people are leaving reviews, which is cool. Not that we need that affirmation. I mean, maybe yeah. I, I probably do, but you certainly don't. Uh, <laughs> but it's helpful because it, then it just kind of makes it look like we know what we're doing. And, um, you know, students are talking about it on Blackboard now, which is cool. And uh, so it's just kind of growing outside of our CSI chapter. It's uh yeah, and that, and that was the hope, you know, that we have got this online community of several thousand students and several hundred professors, and we're trying to just create something grassroots, kind of bring everybody together and have these kind of casual conversations about things that we don't necessarily get to talk about because we're not in the same space. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've had a I've had a blast doing it. It's a I'm, I'm surprised that we've gotten to episode nine. Uh, I guess that's a good surprise, but I, you know, I didn't, I didn't think that it would evolve into this. And I've gone back and listened to our first episode, and I'm surprised we didn't get the plug pulled on us after episode one. So, um, yes, very thankful for that. Yeah, that fear of rejection runs deep. <laughs> I'm always waiting for Dr. Kirk to say, "All right, guys, that's yeah, enough. this is enough. Time out. <laughs> yeah, it's over." <laughs> You had it was a good run. You made it through episode one, so that's right. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, I'm excited. This is going to be a, I think, a great conversation today, and I'm really excited for our guests. And what a great way to uh, reflect on the journey uh, mm. with what we have planned for today. So, Jeff, without further ado, could you introduce our guest today? Yeah, you know, we always say how honored we are to have this specific guest on the show, but today uh, is really special because we have Dr. Brandy Chamberlain, uh, who our listeners, I hopefully know, she's the online chair of the entire department. Uh, she's also the KCREP liaison, so she's kind of a big deal. Um, so we're really, really blessed and honored and, and humbled um, that she would join us today. So. Dr. Brandy Chamberlain has worked in many clinical settings, including intensive home therapy, drug and alcohol rehabilitation, the geriatric psychiatric unit, the adult psychiatric unit, as well as group and family work with individuals and families dealing with substance abuse issues. Her primary research interests are on online education, wellness, cultural humility, and other multicultural considerations. She is an active member of the counseling community serving as the Division Council Chair for the Virginia Counselors Association, President-elect of the Lynchburg Area Counselors Association, and the President-elect-elect for the Virginia Association of Counselor Education and Supervision. 
Additionally, Dr. Chamberlain is the founder and director of the Central Virginia Counselor Development Symposium. So welcome, Dr. Chamberlain. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I don't know that I'm that big of a deal, but I appreciate the accolades there. <laughs> yeah, like I said before we got started, we can't mess this one up because our, our academic future is at, is at risk on this one. So um, hopefully, hopefully we do all right, Dr. Chamberlain. And it is a pleasure to, to have you here today. Well, I appreciate the invite. This is um, this is so. I don't even know how to like properly describe how I feel about this because I don't feel like words are adequate. But this is something that um, I know Dr. Kirk has envisioned, but we have been working for so many years on just continuing to try to build an online community. And I feel like this is such a great um, offshoot of that and stuff that we didn't even imagine. So you guys have just taken the ball and run with it. It's really cool to see. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, we want to hear from you and really kind of maybe take a step back and, and look at this past year and just really kind of there was, I mean, say it lightly, 2020 was it was a year certainly to, to remember with with everything going on, you know, and, and, and even throw COVID out the, the window and, and, and within Liberty and in the world in general, there was a lot going on and can you just share with us from a leadership perspective um, how how that looked dealing with 2020 related to racial social concerns and justices certainly within the liberty community the news of the Falwell family um, and what that scandal that happened and, and really how to how you were able to unite the department and do it in a way that was such a, a God honoring way and, and just further the kingdom of God. I really would like to hear kind of, cause I'm sure that that was quite a year for you with everything going on and, and kind of your perspective and look back into what 2020 meant to you with all that. Yeah. You know, that's so, um, I mean, 2020, right? <laughs> like what, what do you even say to that? Um, one of the things I was, as I was reflecting on these questions you sent me, I was thinking, um, how do I answer it just in a leadership perspective? And I don't know that I can. And that was something I've been thinking about is, um, it's one of those situations. And I think that they come along every random once in a while, but certainly not often, where it's really hard to separate the personal from the political or the personal from the position, if you will. So I feel like in general, one of the things that helps me in my job is that I am able to separate my personal feelings from the job. It's just something that I think is necessary whenever you lead a large group, especially um, you know faculty, students, whatever. I have become adept at separating those things because I just think it's necessary. Things aren't personal. I just want the job to get done, whatever that job is. But I would say the summer of 2020 challenged that for me. I really, I mean, if I'm being 100% honest, I struggled. I struggled in 2020 in general, personally. So this is just like an FYI, but I started January 2020 with a broken foot. I, um, as soon, like two weeks after I get my cast off, I broke my hand. And then I think it's like a month after that, I got COVID. And I was like, okay, 2020 can just go. Like I'm done, <laughs> personally, I'm done. And then in the midst of all of that was political and social and institutional upheaval, if you will. It was just challenging on all fronts. 
And so I think if I would have only been facing one of those aspects of my life, like only personally struggling or only positionally struggling or only politically struggling, it would have been one thing. Um, but when all of those things are coming at you at one time, I think it's overwhelming. So I think in general, I just want to acknowledge that it wasn't easy. Um, so I have a group of faculty members who I really rely on to be honest with me, you know, who I can lean on. And I'm technically their boss, but they're certainly outside of, of the work environment, my friends and my colleagues and um, my truth tellers. Uh, and so what it caused me to do was, I guess, two broad things. One, take a step back and just say, okay, can I live with this environment and do I want to? Um, so this kind of goes back to cognitive interpersonal therapy. I know this is going to, this is all going to tie together at the end, but whenever you're in a relationship and I think relationships go beyond just dyads, you know, not just like my husband and I, and not just my colleagues and I, but like relationship, even with your job, relationship with your institution, I think there comes a time where you have to say, can I stay? Like, is this something that I can deal with or something that I can reconcile myself to? And that was my struggle, summer 2020. So this is me being super honest. And I met with some of my colleagues and we had some discussions. And I think the thing that I kept coming back to was I have to do something. I don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do, but I knew that the tweet that was sent out, the subsequent lack of awareness compelled me to action. And I'm an action-oriented person, so um, that makes a lot of sense. But honestly, it's a little bit scary to stand out on a limb. And so I remember distinctly in my driveway, it was the day after, <laughs> the tweet heard around Lynchburg. Um, it was the day after, and I, my kid, we were in quarantine. My kids are outside doing gymnastics exercises, and I'm sitting next to my husband in the driveway, and I'm like, I can't get fired for praying, right? <laughs> and that's sort of where we started. And I was like, I need to do something, but I think we have to start at ourselves and say, can I do some reflection where I must be contributing to, to um, bridge the divides that are, that are present? Um, and especially being a counselor and a counselor educator, it's just something that's really very important to us in terms of social justice, in terms of equity. And I think as Christians, we need to <laughs> be the exception, right? We need to be the ones showing the love and sharing um, sharing Christ, and it's certainly not what I think Jesus would have us to do. And so I thought, you know, what better place to start than prayer? Um, Jerry Sr. used to say all the time, nothing of significance um, happens apart from prayer. And so I thought it was so important just to start there. And so that's what we did, right? Starting over the summer, we started holding monthly prayer vigils. And I think it went well. I know you've got a follow-up question about that, but I really think that it was um, it was the best that I could think to do and also still feel like 
I could stay and I could be here. And um, one of the things that Dr. Navishi Edwards and I talked about was making a difference where you're planted. And I think that I had to surrender myself to the Lord and to his um, placement of me here in this time and in this place, because um, it's not an accident. I think that we're all here for this moment in this time at this um, particular institution. And, but I had to make a decision. I, I mean, it had to be kind of coming back to that cognitive interpersonal thing whenever you are counseling someone about a relationship, right? There's, there's three things that you can do. You can stay and not change, right? And just accept the relationship for what it is. Um, you can stay and you can change. You can try to do something different in, on your own or you can leave. Like those are really the options. Um, and so that's what I came to. And I was like, well, I'm going to stay and I'm going to change. I'm going to do some things different. I haven't done everything perfect, <laughs> but um, yeah. So that's, that's sort of the journey, I guess, to get to the prayer That was my own interpersonal journey and my leadership journey. Um, and when I think of it specifically from a leadership perspective, one of the things that, um, that I did was I wrote down some principles of leadership. And I have grappled with these over, over the summer, really. And um, the ones that I think became so important to me was the composition of my team. So if you guys look at our counselor education and supervision faculty, um, so we call them core faculty for K-PREP, if you aren't aware, um, they're amazing. Like, I really couldn't say enough about them. They um, are just a phenomenal group of people uh, beyond just being, you know, good counselor educators and um, well-educated and all of that. I mean, they're just good people. And I think that that goes a long way. And so I am so really blessed because Liberty has supported us in this effort to hire these amazing individuals. Um, but I'm blessed to be surrounded by a really amazing team. But I also think that it's important to have people in your life who will tell you the truth. And I know I alluded to that earlier, but I do have a group of faculty who I um, meet with regularly, um, whether it's officially or whether it's text conversations or something like that, but um, who aren't afraid to tell me the truth. So I think this sort of goes back to even how I was introduced, right? It's like, I know that I'm the boss, right? And so there does carry some of that weight with it that can be intimidating, um, hopefully not because I'm, I'm not a nice person, but because of just the position, right? The position carries with it some sort of weight. Um, so I, I have really tried to surround myself with people who are not afraid of me <laughs> um, in one way or another so that they can, can, can tell me things where I have blind spots. Um, also, I think that my team is all very, uh, very intelligent and most of them are more intelligent than I am. And so I think it's important to surround yourself not only with people who tell you the truth, but with people who are a little bit smarter than you um, because they can help you see things that maybe, you know, maybe you're not seeing, you've got blind spots. Um, and I think it's also important to surround yourself with people who are different than you. Um, I think in anger over the summer, although I would say it's still true whether it was said in anger or not, um, I I said something, I don't even know if it was on like Twitter or Facebook or some, some sort of social media though, 
about being really honestly angry whenever you look at a group of leaders and everyone looks the same. I think that's a problem. I think that you should look to your left and you should look to your right and you should say, um, do these people look just like me? Do these people think just like me? If so, then, then you're not doing a good job of leading. Um, you should surround yourself with people who look different than you, who think different than you, um, and in some cases who have different um, values. Now that's not, I don't mean that in a like, not Christian values way, but in an, a different um, maybe perspective, whether that's political or, or personal or whatever. But I think that those are the things that really hit home to me over the summer is, do you have a good team? Yes, I have an amazing team. Do you have a, a group of people who are willing to tell you the truth? Yes. Do those people look different than you? Yes. Okay. So now let's go. Now let's move forward and see what we can do. Yeah, that's such good leadership lessons. It sounds like that 2020 was a, a little bit of a perfect storm for you. And and one point, maybe <laughs> yeah. if you could you could just follow up on that. And you hit two things which I am very passionate about from leadership is the vulnerability. I think I think an effective leader has to have a level of vulnerability, and that has to expand to its team, because uh, that idea of well. The buck may stop here from a decision-making standpoint. I need everybody to feel comfortable to, to share their concerns, their ideas, their diversity, as you mentioned, which I agree 100%, because that, that concept of blind spot is such a, such a real thing. And I think a lot of leaders find it more comforting to surround themselves by yes man rather than honest, advice-giving, real people. And can you just share like the... Because I think it's also a cultural thing from a leadership standpoint. How do you create that vulnerability from a leadership structure? Can you just share quickly about, like, was that something that you were intentional with? Is it something that happened by accident? Or, you know, it was in a God thing? And I think that would be the answer sometimes, too. Yeah. So let me say that um, I have amazing leadership above me that allows me to be vulnerable and allows me to be brave in some situations. So one of the things I talk to my my kids about all the time is it's not um, it's not important to never be afraid, right? I don't think that that's I don't know. I don't think that's accurate. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's even possible. But it is important not to let the fear control what you do. And so that's whenever that's why, of course, those conversations that we that myself and a couple colleagues do, we call them courageous conversations because it's not um, it's not a lack of fear. It's a um, it's a fear and doing it anyway. And I think that's where it all started for me. Is um, I was you know you're really afraid in some ways, afraid to say the wrong thing, afraid to do the wrong thing, and. Um, but I, but inaction is not was no longer an option for me, and I think that's probably where it came down or came to a head. But in terms of the composition of my team, I think some of it happened in sort of a divine way, right? And where I just sort of sat back and was, I don't know, blessed by by the composition of the team. Um, some of it was very intentional. I have been very intentional about. Um, increasing the diversity in our, um, not just our faculty, but in my own 
people who are speaking into my decision making, people are speaking into my life. Because for too long, I think that it's at, at any predominantly white institution, I think that's just what happens. You have a lot of white um, people who are speaking into maybe policies or I don't know, drives the department or whatever it is, right? You just have historically a lot of white people in charge. Um, and the historian narrowed down even more, you usually have a lot of white men uh, in charge. So, you know, I think that's just part something to know. And then you got to navigate that. How do I, how do I navigate this? But I think it comes with not being, <laughs> not being um, frozen by fear. So I, I wouldn't say not being afraid because I think that's, like I said, I think that's natural. But so if I really go back though to when it all started in terms of me and my team, um, I mean, you're talking back to 2017 when um, I first was hired on. We were going through the KCREP self-study process, and I was helping Dr. Deacon in some ways. And um, we had two other fabulous chairs who were also on board, um, Dr. Hinkley and Dr. Shaler. And so the department was going through a lot of changes to try to get, you know, the, that KCREP accreditation. And um, we finally get all of our faculty hired, and I am looking through CVs because I wanted to do um, a presentation, and I come across Dr. Arlie Zamora's CV where she had done some courageous conversations in the past, and so I just randomly called her, and I'm like, look, this is not, this is not really like leadership related. This is more personal, but research, of course, and I asked her if she'd be interested in um, and presenting with me on Courageous Conversations. And so from there, um, she and I did a Courageous Conversation presentation at the North Carolina um, Counseling Conference. And it was, it was awesome. I mean, there was like hundreds of people in there. It was like, it was a little bit overwhelming how many people we had come. And anyway, um, and then we ended up connecting with Dr. Navishi Edwards and Dr. Ronald Simmons on, um, our courageous conversations. And what we decided was just to sort of com, um, combine forces. So they had been separately working on a project and Dr. Mara and I had been working on a project. And so we decided we were just gonna come together as a team of four. So we started researching and really talking through like cultural humility and how do you do this? So I really think it started there, but I think that it grew even more um, personally for me whenever we saw Dr. Mark Myers and Dr. Melvin Pride do a courageous conversation at uh, the symposium. Uh, I know it was mentioned earlier, so we we founded a, a symposium here at Liberty, and they did that. Um, I guess it's been a year and a half ago now, and we watched, and we all four simultaneously looked at each other and said, "That's what we need to do." And so from then on, we have really, we've been conducting research now on our conversations, but we've had a series of courageous conversations with the four of us. And what that's allowed me to do is to grow personally in how I uh, approach these very sensitive topics, but also to create relationships that um, were intentional. Like we intentionally sit down and talk about hard things. Um, and I think without that sort of journey to that place of, you know, the four of us really connecting on things that are uncomfortable, I don't know that the rest of it would have happened. And so I see the Lord's hand sort of 
in all of it from the beginning, right? From me randomly seeing Dr. Mara's CV and calling her to us connecting with two other faculty members who were similarly interested to us seeing Dr. Um, Pride and Dr. Myers have a courageous conversation. You know, I mean, it just has been, and it's been a journey, of course, I and mean, you're talking over over two and a half, three years, that journey occurred. Um, so it didn't happen by accident, but it also wasn't like I set out and I was like, you know what I need to do? I need to become more culturally competent. <laughs> like, that's just not how it happened. I wish, uh, I wish I was that intentional, but I think it's evolved over time. And certainly I think, you know, anytime you look back, at least for me, when I look back on things, I say, okay, I can see how the Lord ordered that step. Um, and it really led to several others. Dr. Chamberlain, you, you may know this, but we had Dr. Pride uh, a couple of weeks ago for an event for our CSI chapter where he told his story. Um, and he had brought up the courageous conversations uh, with Dr. Myers. And so we reached out to Dr. Myers like the next day, hey, can you come on the podcast? Uh, so he'll be coming on in May just to kind of tell his side of the story about starting that and presenting it to the faculty. And I had him for 505, so I'm, I'm really excited to have him. Um, and, and, you know, just, just hearing you speak and just kind of reflecting on, you know, as a student, what we've observed from the faculty and, and it, even outside of Liberty, just in 2020, like, what is the best response? And um, kind of one takeaway that I've had, which was brought up in our last episode on gender, was that very often we act and we speak uh, without praying first. And uh, especially now with social media, everyone has a soapbox. Everyone has their own news channel. Everyone has an outlet to speak, which could be really dangerous because <laughs> it's so accessible that we can just say whatever we want without actually praying about it first. So as a student, it was really uh, wonderful to be part of a department that said, hey, uh, we need to come together and we need to pray. And, you know, I don't know any other university in the country that, you know, a, a group of counseling professors was getting together once a month to pray uh, virtually. And I remember mentioning that in the chat, like, hey, as a student, uh, this is like really unparalleled. And I remember some faculty being like, we think the same thing. This is amazing. No one else is doing this. This is the best. And, and, and like the gift of being able to be part of a group where we can just come together and pray. Like you said, well, I, I don't think I can get fired for praying. So Robert and I, we had an opportunity to attend most of those uh, vigils uh, that you organized last year. And it was really encouraging to see professors who we don't get to meet, we don't get to speak with them, we don't get to see them. You, you know, sometimes it's hard to remember that our professors are human beings that have feelings too. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, But we could see our professors coming together and they were praying honestly and earnestly and boldly. Um, and I remember, gosh, every time Dr. Pride would get up to speak, I would I would just start tearing up. And, and I remember Dr. King's devotional when he started tearing up, just his passion. You know, there was not a shortage of tears from professors there. Uh, so just curious, you know, what was your experience uh, from those nights? Yeah, it's so interesting to say that. So I'm not typically a crier. I just, I don't know if that's, that might even be something that I pride myself on. Like, I'm just not a crier, you know. But those conversations were gut-wrenching, especially the first one. For me, it was, that was the one I think that I led, and it was, um, man, it was like, it was, everything was so raw, you know? So at the beginning, I was like, everything was really raw, and it really was, at least for me, a time of healing, um, not only for my, myself personally, but just for, like, us to come together as faculty and students and say, 
You know, let's first go before the throne. And uh, Dr. Jeannie Brooks, who is a residential professor, she always says, um, you know, something's like going wrong. <laughs> She's like, you know, but at the end of the day, he's on the throne. And I often remind myself of that, um, you know, because our steps are ordered by the Lord. And liberty's bigger than any one of us and any one person that's in leadership um, above us, below us, all of that, you know. Liberty is um, is a flawed place, of course, because uh, we're all human. <laughs> Every place is flawed. But I think what those privileges did to me in terms of healing personally, but also reminding myself what a unique place that we have in liberty that allows us to do that, that we get to come together and pray as students, as faculty. And um, we also have these platforms. The Liberty is like this institution who gives us amazing platforms to make these kinds of things possible. I mean, it's just, it's really humbling in that way. Um, I wonder that this is like a sidebar, but KCREP came in 2018, I think, I think it was, and um, the site visit team comes and they have to review all of our stuff and say, okay, you're meeting standards, you're meeting standards. And then, um, they were so overwhelmed by, by the technology, though, that they were like, can you just give me a list of all the technology that Liberty offers? And I was like, sure. It ended up being a two-page list of just all the things that Liberty gives us that we get to do. And so I think I was also reminded in those moments and the prayer vigils to say, um, yeah, Liberty's not perfect. And yeah, there's things that uh, we all would like to, to have different, uh, and I, but I think that that's just any place that you are. And I think what a unique place though, that we get to come together and say a prayer and not have any sort of um, discrimination and not have any sort of backlash for that. And so I was reminded at that time of what a special and unique place Liberty is. So for me, it was healing personally, but it was also healing um, as a leader. I was like, yeah, this is a really unique place that has um, just amazing capabilities. And so then, of course, I was also challenged to think, okay, well, what do we do? What do we do next? So initially sort of this raw healing kind of moment for me, or not moment, but, but process. And in the middle, I was like, okay, this is flowing really well. We have students attending. Um, I would have... I. I started, though, to feel like I want more students to come, and I want it to be more um, meaningful. And so then towards the end, I was feeling a little tired because I didn't feel um, I didn't feel the same energy from the beginning. And this kind of goes back to what Dr. Pride has, has said from the beginning, whenever we, everything sort of first blew up. Um, Dr. Pride, I think you mentioned he, you know, and he shares, you just sit and listen because he's just wise and um, so humble and kind and, you know, all the things that you're supposed to be. I feel like he wraps that up nicely. Um, and so whenever Dr. Pride speaks, I also sit and listen and I say, okay, what can I learn from this very wise person? And one of the things that he said at the very beginning when some faculty and I were meeting uh, about putting these privileges on, was, you know, what I want us to not do is be a shooting star. That, like, in the moment, you shoot and you're bright and, it, and it's great, but then you fizzle and you fade. And I think that's the struggle 
toward the end for me was okay, how do we not fizzle? How do we not fade? How do we keep some momentum going and, and keep this sort of process of healing and um, conversations going? So um, that is why we sort of changed the focus for this semester to be something a little bit different. Um, and our first one's tomorrow. I don't know if you guys have, but I, I can talk to you guys about that. If, I don't know if you know, but there's basically, I went to my group of people that I talked to and I said, okay, here's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling like this was really good, especially in the summer when everything was like chaos and it helped us to settle, it helped us to, to heal. Um, but I don't want to lose what we're doing, what, what we did, but I want to maybe change a little, see if we can um, pick up some more momentum and make it more meaningful for the students who really want to come. Um, and also I got some complaints about Wednesday evenings because that's church night. So I was like, okay, we're going to change it to Tuesday nights. Um, and so tomorrow is our very first one at 730. But basically I'm asking people to watch. And this is of course Black History Month. And so I thought it was fitting that we watch um, Dr. King's final speech and then come ready to talk about it tomorrow. So um, basically just talk about takeaways and um, how do we take sort of what his view and his vision was, how do we implement it even today, um, you know, to pos positively impact our profession, our communities, our education and all of that. So that's the new direction. And I don't, and I think a lot of this for me is like, again, that courage thing, okay, I'm gonna, this may blow up in my face. <laughs> it may really be terrible, or I may get students who are really upset. And um, and so I have to be sort of prepared for that. And so it's a little bit a little bit scary, but I think that it's important to do it anyway. Yeah, that's great. And one of the things I just want to say that just from listening to you, I think it's a, it's, it's really an amazing story how how God has aligned pieces and also how he has brought you through different things to put you into this position to prepare you for this leadership position at this specific time and i think that's that's such a cool thing to look at in in, in our lives why are we in this situation but also how do we get prepared for this and sometimes it's through trials sometimes it's through people sometimes it's all a lot of different ways but you mentioned one thing that you're looking to do in the future starting tomorrow with this new format what do we do, especially as a, as a university, as a community, what do we do, say, more long-term over the next five, ten years to really be a catalyst for change uh, in terms of racial, social injustices, and, and also reconciliation for the counseling profession? Um, but where do we go to keep moving that needle? Because I don't think it's something that we're going to change overnight. I think it's going to be a consistent, intentional effort. How long term, where do we go from here? Yeah, that's a good question. And of the questions that you guys asked me, I think that's the hardest um, to answer because, you know, like utopia, right? I mean, I just don't think we ever get there. You don't ever get to this place where it's all perfect because we're all um, sinners. <laughs> we're all human, we're all flawed. And so then therefore anything we're a part of is human and flawed. And so I don't think we ever get to the place where everything's perfect. And so I think for me, and I try to always just own things and say, okay, for me personally, what it means is continuing to um, approach things with humility, um, which can be really tough not to get in your pride about things, 
um, whatever, whatever that might be. I think that that's just a struggle um, for everyone, certainly for me, because you do invest so much of your energy and your heart and your mind into these efforts. And um, if they're not working or if they are somehow flawed, <laughs> um, do, do we act in humility or do we get, kind of dig in our heels and say, um, you know, no, that's not what, what I wanted to do or, or my way is the right way or something like that. So I really think it starts with humility. Um, which I know sounds really simple, but it's really hard to be a self-reflective person and a humble person that's also um, confident. Because I think that at times, whenever you are self-reflective, and we know, right, we're our own worst critics, but how do you do that in a way that is productive and not destructive? And so I think it does start first in our hearts and our own minds and say, okay, um, how can I be better? How can I do this? A little bit differently and also listening to feedback um, and not getting discouraged when you get that feedback. I think that that's hard. I, I really do. I think um, our counseling students, of course, experience that in skills class, right? I think about skills class where you get that feedback and you think, okay, how can I be open to feedback? How can I take this and grow um, and not be discouraged in that maybe this is not the, the path for me? Um, and I think that, so I think that that's maybe just a human process. So I think, but I do think you have to start there. Um, and I think you do have to be open to feedback. So being humble, being open to feedback, um, because that's how you learn and that's how you grow. And um, continuing to surround yourself with people who are different. Um, and even, and I think that that goes beyond ethnicity. I think that goes to a lot of other areas as well. But having a vision of saying, okay, my primary goal here is to um, be inclusive to all of our students our, and all of our faculty. And that includes, by the way, white students and white faculty. And so I think that, um, Balancing those things is, is more difficult than than I think we even want to admit, because whenever you're striving to be more diverse, then of course you focus on um, the diversity issues, right? You focus on issues that are important to faculty, um, but often I think our white faculty and our white students can feel nervous. Um, to have these discussions, to nervous to even attend, um, and maybe they feel left out or not considered. And so, you know, it is a it's a fine line to walk of how do I um, how do I include everyone? And I think it's really hard, and it, and it requires everyone buying in. So I think um, in terms of a long term goal, that's my goal is to say let's first. Um, improve our reputation about our surrounding diversity. And I think that we're on a really good path for that, at least it's in the counseling department, I really do. I think that we already have in so many ways. And I also think that our faculty um, would attest to the fact that the counseling department is um, very inclusive. Right? We're a very diverse faculty, we're a very diverse student body. Um, but how do we take that and now go out? And I think that a lot of our faculty, I mean, I think about Dr. Pride and Dr. Myers 
they presented at the Virginia Counseling Association um, and did their courageous conversation. And um, they basically they were featured then after that on the VCA website because it got such great um, feedback and such great reviews. And I think the title of their their presentation was "Am I a Racist?" Um, and it was just a super honest conversation. But it's it takes us as faculty going out into the counseling community, um, the counselor education community. So you're talking about like um, Virginia Counselor Association annual conference, the um, American Counseling um, Education and Supervision Conference, like every all of these big organizations within the counseling field have annual conferences and we're there. Like our faculty are there. Um, if I'm not personally there, certainly someone's there. Um, and so much so that now like counselor education communities like Liberty is everywhere. Um, how do you how do you do that? And so I think that's a nod to the university for supporting us in those professional development activities. And um, but it's a nod to the faculty for all the work that they do and they get out and they um, have been a catalyst for improving the our relationship and our reputation with the broader counseling community. Um, and you know, you mentioned earlier we have hundreds of we have thousands of students and hundreds of faculty, and that's accurate. Um, what that means is that we're a really big force, and um, we can go out and make a difference. And I think that our faculty have really taken up the mantle to do that. Um, and I hope and pray that our students, as they go out into the communities and their practicums and then in their internships and in eventually their positions, that that continues through them as well. You know that we have done our job as educators to educate our students well to be a force in the community. Um, I think too often we think, oh, I've got to have this really big thing that I'm doing. I know I, I'm guilty of that. I'm like, okay, am I doing that? And I ask myself that question a lot. Like, am I doing enough? Is this enough? Should I do more? Um, and do I have a, a lofty goal and a lofty agenda? And I think so often it comes down to, um, am I doing the next right thing? And Am I making a difference where I'm planted? And I think we circle back to why we're here, right? That decision that was made of, no, I'm gonna grow and I'm gonna make a difference where I'm planted. And are we all taking that responsibility seriously? So I wish I said, I wish I could say, I have this really like grand scheme of like, this is what we're gonna do. But I really honestly and truly think that the best way to make a difference is right where you are in your homes, in your communities? Like, are you having conversations with your families? Um, are you going to counseling conferences and, and meeting and networking and advocating where you can? Because um, I think that's how you make the difference. It's not, um, you know, I'm not a politician. I can't go lobby and that's not my, my gig. So am I doing what I can where I am? Um, and I really think that that does start in your, in your heart and in your home. Um, Certainly, we've had lots of interesting conversations in my house with my, my kiddos and my husband, so it's been good. It's such a gift to have you and just to sit and, and listen to you share, because we don't, we don't get this opportunity with, with any of our professors, but especially with you and, and just kind of encountering, you know, you and your heart um, through those, those monthly meetings and just, you say you're not a crier, but I, I think I saw you crying at least several times. <laughs> everyone, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, you know, it's that vulnerability piece, like we, like we said before, and, um, 
yeah, just appreciate your sharing and, and your wisdom and your insight and also your humility. You know, I think that's a real, a real shining light. And um, yeah, it's, it's a gift to, to, to sit, to sit at your feet and just, um, yeah, just glean from your wisdom. So thanks so much for taking the time. I can't even imagine how busy you are. I mean, it's your email. You have this thing, book my time. I mean, you're just like totally <laughs> surrendered to anyone <laughs> who needs you. It's so amazing. So thank you for this. Oh, absolutely. Well, thanks for inviting me. This is really, um, you know, outside of my normal activities. And so it was really fun. Uh, this is not something I get to do very often. So I really appreciate it. Good. Yeah, it's great. I, we definitely appreciate you taking the time. And, and by the way, that question number three wasn't ours. It was our CFA. So we'll, we'll make sure that uh, we report back to them, you know, that that's the, that was the top question of, of the day. So uh, that way we don't get For in sure. trouble. <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, and, and, and the way you, you framed that, I think, was absolutely perfect. And I, I couldn't I couldn't have thought of a better response to that. So. Again, just thank you personally as a as a uh, student for your leadership for what you do for the university and and certainly um, moving forward. I know that there's going to be more to come. So just thank you for that intentionality, that that call to action, that vulnerability, that humility, everything that was displayed today. Um, it's it's refreshing and, and certainly very very honoring to to speak with you today. So thank you, Dr. Chamberlain. So Jeff, real quick, we got some some great. Uh, guests coming up to uh, to keep us moving along. Um, next episode will be episode 10. What do we have coming up? Yeah, so we have, uh, we mentioned her in this episode, Dr. Robin Simmons. She's going to come on and speak um, to us about play therapy. And that episode is actually going to be added to the course material for uh, 612, which I think is child and adolescent. Um, that's going to be added to the play therapy week. So there's some added pressure there. We better, uh -oh. Uh -oh. you know, get that straight. <laughs> Uh, and then we'll be having Dr. <laughs> Alyssa Gavlich on in the in the middle of the month, who I believe was at Liberty as a student with Dr. Chamberlain and Dr. Kirk and Dr. Takis and Dr. Harrigan and half of our guests. Uh, she has an amazing story of yeah. loss and tragedy and grief uh, with the death of her of her husband uh, in the army and then the loss of her two year old and then uh, I think uh, suicide and, and murder in her family all while she was a doc student at Liberty. Um, so we're just humbled that we could even sit and, and, and hear her story. And then at the end of the month, we'll be having uh, Dr. Cheney uh, from Texas about starting a purely virtual practice. Uh, that'll be cool. And then we'll be having Dr. Myers on, who we talked about at length uh, today. He'll be coming on just to, to share about his perspective from those courageous conversations. So we've got a, a good, good lineup leading us into um, the spring and, and into the summer. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I, I keep saying we must have a really good booking agent that handles all this because, man, we get some serious uh, guests. Bro, I'm telling podcast. you, it's the Holy Spirit. I like my morning prayer time. I wake up before the rest of the family wakes up. And I like some mornings, it's really hard not to pray about the podcast. And Lord's like, you're going to invite this person. Um, that's and, that's and the best way. That's, that's the best booking agent you can have. <laughs> that's right. Well, thank you, Jeff. Again, thank you, Dr. Chamberlain. I want to thank everybody for listening to us today. Uh, please be sure to check us out. Uh, we have some great, as just mentioned, some great guests coming up. Um, and if there's any any comments, um, you can actually reach us at rho-ada-nu-alpha-rho at liberty.edu. Uh, and I believe that is also published on the Podbean, podcast, any of the platforms. Yes. Uh, we'd love to hear any comments or any feedback or 
any any topics for future guests um, we'd love to have that feedback so feel free to reach out to us with your comments and again thank you for listening i hope everybody has a wonderful and blessed day